You're listening to On the Ear, an audiology podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Dr. Dakota Sharp, AUDCCCA, audiologist, clinical professor, and lifelong learner. While I primarily work with pediatric cochlear implants and hearing aids, I am absolutely intrigued by the many areas of audiology and communication in general. This podcast aims to explore the science of hearing, balance, and communication with a variety of experts in hopes of equipping you to better serve your patients, colleagues, and students. So let's go. We are live and on the ear, brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. In the U.S., approximately 1 in 10 adults has or has experienced some form of tinnitus. While in most cases tinnitus is temporary and not particularly bothersome, there are some for which audiologic care is vitally necessary. The problem? Even though tinnitus care falls within our scope of practice, many audiologists are uncomfortable assessing, diagnosing, and treating tinnitus. Today's guest is helping to make tinnitus care more approachable for all audiologists to incorporate into their practice. Dr. Maria Morrison is an audiologist in Illinois who co-owns Geneva Hearing Services, which opened in 2006. She received her master's in audiology from Illinois State University and her doctorate in audiology from Salus University. Her practice has grown from two owners to an an additional full-time provider, and she has office staff too. Her clinical experience includes a major metropolitan hospital, a private ENT practice, and a community hospital. In addition to seeing patients and managing the private practice, she also created a course for providers to learn how to set up a tinnitus clinic, focusing on the business aspects of running a profitable and sustainable office. She also works with uh, Entray Audiology, a professional network for audiologists, because she has a passion for collaborating with and empowering other audiologists and patients. We are so fortunate to have Dr. Morrison join us to discuss this super important topic. Hey, Maria, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk about tinnitus. It's something I feel like is probably one of my biggest blind spots in audiology. I just have a lot of questions for you. You are not alone. Yeah, I, that's that's the general vibe I get. I have uh, like other providers will email me and they'll say, or you know, someone from out of state, they'll say, "Hey, uh, who in your area is you know providing tinnitus care?" And I'll say, "Well, there's one practice kind of far that yeah. might be a good option. I mean, I know we can. There's a couple things we can try, but I I don't know if I'm comfortable being that person for you. So I know right. you probably get those questions a lot. Absolutely, all the time. So my first question then, just to jump thing, just to, you know, have a starting point here. So what led you to providing care for tinnitus patients? What drew you to that? So um, really it was right when I, you know, graduated. Um, I have a running joke. You know, my first job out of school was I was the department head of the audiology department at a small community hospital. And I joke because I was really, it was a department of one. It was just me. Um, (laughs) um, But it makes me sound so important. I was the head of the department. Um, And so it it was just me. And I would have these patients come in that were complaining of tinnitus. And I had zero training and how to help someone that was suffering from tinnitus, you know, and it was just referred to ENT. And Mm -hmm. so that's what I did. I referred to ENT. And unfortunately, what do ENTs do? They say, just get used to it, which, you know, we all know is not helpful and can actually hurt the patient more by telling them that. And so really it it came from a place of need and desire. Like there was definitely a need for the services and um, I really wanted to help these people. I just didn't know how. And so it was just a long journey of learning, you know, how to treat tinnitus and how you can help patients. Got it. Um, Did you find that there was a really big need in your area? 
Yeah. And I, I honestly think there really, there's a need everywhere. Um, sure. I think, you know, most audiologists, we don't get a ton of actual training. We might just, they kind of glaze over it in school. And so, um, at least for me, when I was in school, you know, I was told just to put a hearing aid on and, mm-hmm. you know, not every tinnitus patient, you know, has a hearing loss or needs a hearing aid. Um, and we know that, especially now, it's not so much that there is a sound, it's how they're reacting to the sound. That's the sure. issue. And a hearing aid doesn't necessarily help them react differently. And so um, I do believe that there is a huge need for audiologists um, to kind of step up and provide a little bit more help um, for these patients. And you don't have to provide all the treatment, right, from start to end. But I think if all the audiologists out there at least provided an initial tinnitus consultation, you're going to help so many people. Because a lot of these people, they don't, they don't need a lot of treatment. They just need to know that one, it's nothing to be concerned about. Two, it's totally normal to have this. And eventually it will get better with time, you know, give them some hope and they're going to, they're going to feel better. You're going to give them some strategies that they can do on their own. And so if, you know, my, my mission, my goal is just to help providers do that. You know, every provider, whether you're in a clinic or an ENT office or a private practice, you know, give you the tools that you can at least do an initial tinnitus consultation for these patients, because most of them, that's all that they need. And then of course, if they need more, you can, you can then refer on. Yeah, that that's such a great point that I think in the world of audiology, we know tinnitus is extremely common, mm-hmm. but everyone else doesn't know that. So it's kind of, you know, it's really helpful for them to know that it's much more common than they think and right. likely doesn't mean something is horribly horribly wrong Correct. with them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh we don't have to get too much into cuz I know it's there's a lot of questions, there's a lot of still to be determined in terms of the why mm-hmm. of tinnitus. Um, but I'm just curious from your perspective, the patients that you see primarily, do you do you happen to have like a, a believed mechanism of what's causing theirs? Do many of them already have hearing loss or is it related to, you know, noise trauma or something? So certainly I think there's a few larger buckets. Obviously, noise exposure is a huge one. Untreated hearing loss is another. And then stress. And I think stress goes for everybody. Um, how our bodies react to and handle stress um, is obviously different for a lot of people. But if you have this prolonged period where your body is just kind of in this constant state of stress, um, that's when I find I get I get a lot of normal hearing individuals that um, after talking with them, going over their history, you know, they'll admit to something happening in their life where, you know, maybe a loved one died or they lost their job or, you know, they're they're getting divorced or, you know, something's going on and this is how their body's reacting to it is that now they have this tinnitus and they don't know what to do about it. Yeah, that's a great point. I I see the same thing. Um, I work primarily with pediatrics and you'll see, especially, I mean, this is like very different scenario, but just in the way that stressors and environmental factors can play into the reason someone comes in in the first place, a lot of teenagers who are, you know, have a functional or a non-organic hearing loss, they're faking, right? A lot of times it's coming from a place of there's something going on within the family, whether it's divorce or financial stressors, or, you know, it's just related to a more stressful emotional response. Mm -hmm. And that's what's causing them to have this. And I mean, in some cases, they truly believe they have a hearing loss and other times, you know, it's a cry for attention. But it's interesting to see how those external factors don't actually cause some sort of 
pathophysiological true hearing loss, but they do have an impact on our hearing system in a way that is, you know, something we can document and see. Yeah. 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 Okay. So getting into sort of what it looks like to incorporate tinnitus care. Yeah. You mentioned a tinnitus consultation. Honestly, mm-hmm. if I were to do that, I don't even really know what I would do. I, <laughs> I Okay, hold on. That's not true. I When I was in school, we did learn how to do like a tinnitus evaluation where you match pitch and do yeah. all of these things, but mm-hmm. it was a lot of stuff and we did it one time and I never saw right. it again. But yeah. I do have in my back pocket, and I have used this with patients before, um, the THI, the tinnitus handicap yes. inventory. Mm-hmm. A, and great, it, a great inventory to use. Okay. Good to know that it's a good one. That's like the only (laughs) thing I have. And so I'll pull that out just to know like how severe are we Mm -hmm. talking here? But depending on that, I don't even know like who I'm referring to in that situation. So let me backtrack and just say someone comes in, whether it's just for a hearing eval or strictly tinnitus, what does that consult look like for you? What what does that entail? So um, we try to always find out if they're you know, if they have tinnitus, if it's bothersome before they come in, because then we, it's a different length of span of that appointment, but we're going to, you're going to have them fill out questionnaires. I love the THI. I like the um, tinnitus functional index as well. Um, The tinnitus hearing survey, which is really quick and short, the THS, that one allows us to see which one's bothering them more. Is it the tinnitus? Is it the hearing loss or the hyperacusis, you know, um, Mm -hmm. kind of from their perspective. Um, but they're going to fill out some questionnaires. You're going to do a comprehensive case history, just like you would for anyone that comes in for a hearing test, right? You're going to ask them about a history of ear infections. You're going to ask about noise exposure. You're going to ask them about heart surgeries and strokes and kidney issues and balance issues and cancers, um, allergies. You know, you're going to ask all those same questions. Um, but now if they have tinnitus, you're going to ask, you know, is it one ear? Is it the right, the left, and the head? Um, is it intermittent? Is it constantly there? How often are you aware of it? How often are you annoyed by it? Um, do you remember when it happened? Was it gradual or a sudden onset? You know, does it pulsate? You're going to ask some more specific questions regarding the tinnitus, right? Okay. You're going to do a hearing test. And um, I, I come from kind of a, I guess, a more minimalist approach where we always do uh, 92557 airbone speech. And then from there, we decide what other tests need to be done. So I don't always do TIMS. I don't always do acoustic reflex and decay. I don't always do OAEs. But if they're normal hearing, I'm definitely going to do OAEs, right? Because you sure. want to see outer hair cell damage. If you've got an asymmetry, you know, that sort of thing. If they're complaining of feeling plugged up in the ears, you know, those are, um, you know, signs that you're going to do some, some more testing. So that's testing for you. That's testing that you're doing because that's information that you want to know. The tinnitus pitch and loudness masking really is for the patient because you do those tests and it's not really going to change a whole lot in regards to your treatment process, but it allows the patient to feel that we evaluated their tinnitus. Okay. Right? It gives them a sense of, wow, this person is actually listening. It's not a hearing problem. Um, it, it really, there is an issue they're wanting to quantify it now. Yeah. So I do, I do the tinnitus pitch and loudness masking matching. I do the minimum masking levels, residual inhibition. I do that. Um, those, that's kind of like my basic testing that I'm going to do. And then the majority of the appointment is real counseling and education. You know, you're going to go over the prevalence of tinnitus, you know, why, 
are some people not bothered by it. They have it and it doesn't bother them and other people are, right? Um, mm -hmm. How you kind of get this feedback loop of, you know, your brain hears this sound and it doesn't know what it is and subconsciously it determines that it's a threat, right? Um, because yeah. you can hear your refrigerator fan kick on and kick off and it doesn't bother you. It doesn't elicit an emotion. You're not worried or frustrated or angry or bothered by your refrigerator fan, um, but you're bothered by this sound. Um, and that's because the brain has determined that the sound is a threat. And so the problem with that is because the brain has determined that the sound is a threat, it's kind of um, activated your autonomic nervous system and your limbic system. And so you're kind of in this constant fight or flight state of you're listening for the sound. And because you're listening for the sound, your brain's amplifying the sound. Um, it's paying attention to it. And so the more you pay attention to it, the louder it seems. And the louder it seems, the more you pay attention to it. And it just kind of vicious yeah, cycle that loop. continues. Yeah. yeah. So explaining that to patients is really helpful. And then you go into, well, what can we do to help, right? We can use sound. We can change our mindset of it and, and how we're thinking about it. So those doing those steps really helps patients. And if, if you just do that at your initial tinnitus consultation, I mean, eight times out of 10, those patients are going to be super satisfied, so happy that they came to see you and not need any other follow-up. Wow. So it's, it's really helpful. And I go over this. I have a course and I, I kind of go over this. I, there's a presentation that you can use and it, it really just takes the clinician through that process that you can do with the patient so that the patient feels calm and comfortable mm -hmm. and not worried and stressed. So that's, that's fantastic question. Yeah. Those tests that you talked about, um, mm -hmm. the loudness matching, the frequency, yeah, the pitch matching. and loudness matching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are all of those things you can do with just a typical audiometer or does that yes. require some kind of special equipment? For the most part? Yes. Um, I haven't had, I think maybe one or two where I had to use the, the real ultra high frequencies, but most okay. of them are below 8,000 Hertz. Um, wow. and so I tell, okay. I tell clinicians that all the time, you do not need special equipment. If you have a regular audiometer, you can absolutely have a tinnitus clinic. Wow. That's, I think that's a huge factor that a lot of people get thrown off by as they think it it's going to be yes. extra equipment extra and testing equipment, software. And... Money. Do I have the space? You know, what else yeah. do I have to do? And well, it's nice to have the ultra high frequencies. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. um, it's not required. It's not needed. You can still help these these people, um, you know, improve their their quality of life. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. So that's a huge, you know, step. That's a huge step for people to understand that and then you know begin to take that in and start using this practice. I mean, that's yeah. great. I'm assuming the the course that you offer kind of explains those evaluations and stuff. Absolutely. We don't have to it get gives into you, that now. Yeah, it gives you the steps on how to do pitch and loudness masking. It gives you, you know, what to say with each slide in the presentation um, and really walk that patient through the process. Yeah. Got it. So when it, in, in the world of audiology, we talk a lot about evidence-based practice and mm -hmm. um, best practice or best care. Yeah. So um, like, is there, because I mean, I know tinnitus is still, it's like this I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like it's like this mysterious world where like only a few people dabble in there. Yeah. I mean, do we do we have like guidance in terms of best practice and evidence-based so care we, or is it? You know, we do have, there is guidance. I, you know, I think it was the British Tinnitus Association did a review of literature and um, they 
and it all, I'll have a link for you that you can share with your listeners Perfect. Um, where they went through everything. And really what they found was a lack of good research. So, you know, there's, there is research out there, right? There's research out there that says that TRT works, that um, progressive tinnitus management works, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, you name all these different types of treatments. There's research that shows that it does, but it's not really good research, right? It's not, it's not on a large scale. It's not replicable. It's, you know, um, and so what they found in looking at all the literature, the only therapy that really they could recommend was cognitive behavioral therapy. All the other ones, they're not saying that they don't recommend it. They're just saying that there's not enough research done on it to say whether or not it's good, right? And so I think there's definitely a huge area of opportunity there that we could be doing um, for research on it. Now, you know, I, so those are the guidelines, right? And when I think of best practices for me, I think really it's doing everything that you can to help the patient. So Mm. if someone were to walk into your office and have tinnitus and, and you're not capable of helping them, then best practices for you would be to have a list of providers that you could give them to refer to that you know have the skills that can help them, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when you're providing the care, I think, you know, not relying on one way or one therapy, but pulling from several um, and not being able or not being afraid um, to refer out when needed, right? Whether or not sure. it might be that you just don't feel capable of helping the patient or when other specialties are needed like ENT, neurology, or psychology. I, in, in all my years of doing this, I don't think that there's just one way that helps everybody, right? Mm, I mean, every yeah. patient's a little different, not to be sexist, but men are really difficult to open up. Sure. And, we, you know, I need that, that connection with the patient to talk about feelings and how things are affecting you so that I have a better idea of what's going on and where, what specific areas. And so um, with my, my women patients, I get that information pretty easily. You know, I don't okay. have to dig a lot. Uh, all I have to say is, you know, what is that like for you? And then they'll give me, you know, an hour of what it's like <laughs> for them um, to live with this. Whereas, you know, guys, I don't like it. Okay, well, <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about that, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm not a therapist, but I definitely feel like I put on a, on a, on a therapy head every now and then trying to, you know, get people to open up. But I think that's, that's best care to me is really doing everything that you can. And if that means referring out, that means referring out and that's okay. Yeah. What a great way to put that. That's, that's excellent. I think that, that oftentimes gets lost when people talk about best practices is that sometimes best practices isn't doing the thing that would be best practices, but referring to the mm-hmm. person who has the capabilities, the experience Absolutely. and the equipment to do it. That's, that's yep. a really great point. Um, before we, I do want to talk about some of those intervention options and kind of sure. what you're doing now, yeah. um, whether it's hearing aids or tinnitus masking or CBT. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, um, you mentioned the tinnitus handicap survey, the THS, right? Did yeah. I get that right? Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other like in that CI or not CI in that tinnitus consult appointment, whether it's part of the evaluation or the early counseling, not necessarily treatment, but the early counseling tips or like little things people could implement to try to make it better or, you know, those things that often they don't come with the instructions on how to do the test, but they come with the time of having done the test? Oh, gosh. Um, good. Good question. So um, certainly 
the the THS is a is a great questionnaire. I like the THI. The TFI is a little long, a little okay. cumbersome for for grading. But if you're wanting to really dial in on a specific area, um, that's where the TFI comes in. So if you're really wanting to know is it a if if they're having issues with sleep or with concentrating or enjoying activities, you know the the TFI is a great one for that. Sure. I do think you know your your goal when you have a tinnitus patient for the first time is allow them to feel heard, um, understood, and give them hope. I think if, if you can just do those three things, you're going to be golden. Um, because so many times when they go to other specialties, you know, they're, they're either told just get used to it or here we're a hearing aid. Um, hmm. And that's just not enough. And so if you just let them tell you your story, your let them tell you your st- their story, you know, let them feel heard, let them feel understood, right? They're not alone. You've had mm-hmm. patients like this before. Um, they have gotten better, right? They have gotten through it. Y- you know, you're going to get through it. And then let them know, you know, very simple um, of using sound. I think um, explaining how sound can be used is really important in that first consultation. And so I got this from Progressive Tinnitus Management. Um, the use of sound can be used in three ways. Um, it can be used as a contrast, which I think is a lot of times what hearing aids are used for. Mm-hmm. So I always use the candle in a dark room versus a lit room. In a dark room, that candle flame seems very bright. But if you turn the lights on, that flame doesn't seem so bright. But did the flame change? No. Yeah. Your environment changed. So that's how we're going to use hearing aids or we're going to use sound in your environment to change the contrast of your tinnitus. Or we can use sound as um, a distraction. So maybe you're listening to a podcast or an audiobook or TV or radio and your mind is distracted by the sound because it's attending to something else, right? Um, and then use sound as soothing or relaxation. So maybe it's, you know, the sound of the waves or crickets or you know, whatever sound that you find relaxing while you're maybe meditating or deep breathing or imagery, um, you can use sound for that. So just kind of going over those three ways that you can use sound um, can help patients. Um, that's a good a good tip to do as well. So yeah, those were both so good. I want to just like repeat those again, because those were yeah. awesome. So the first one was have them feel heard, mm-hmm. understood, understood, and give them hope. And give them hope, yeah. And then using sound or I don't, I don't know if it's using sound, but sound as a contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, right. Mm-hmm. Remind me of the other two sound as contrast sound as a distraction, a distraction mm-hmm. and then soothing. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Those are, those are awesome. I feel like just having those in your back pocket mm-hmm. can be any yeah. audiologist, regardless exactly. of you don't who need they any primarily training see. For that. Yeah. You don't need any yeah. kind of special training just to do those, those, those things. Yep. Wow, that's great. I'm I'm so glad you brought that up. Awesome. Okay, so then let's transition then and talk about, so they've done their questionnaire. Mm-hmm. It's very obvious that they have a problem that's going to, it's, you know, oh, actually, before I get to that, just kind of a, like a general question, like what percentage of the people you see that come in that their primary complaint was tinnitus that require, you know, going on to the next step in terms of an intervention, like a CBT or a TRT right. versus they just kind of needed that reassuring word or, you know. Honestly, 70 to 80% of people that come into the door just need that initial consultation. 
Wow. And wow. then the 20, 30%, you know, those are the more severe cases that need more help. So that's why I think it's so important yeah. for every audiologist. To, I mean, I have patients who drive so far away just for that initial consultation. I mean, it, you know, everyone could be doing this. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really crazy. That's mm-hmm. really crazy. Yeah. And again, and if, if, if you're a clinician and you know, you just want to do that initial consultation, that's totally fine. And then mm-hmm. just have a list of resources of places that you can refer these patients out to. And that's honestly, that's what I did when I first started, you know, I, my tinnitus training began with Dr. Jastroboff's TRT course and I was green and I was not confident and I <laughs> kind of did an initial tinnitus consultation. And then I was like, nope, you need to go somewhere else. And, and I simply <laughs> would say, you know, it, it really looks like you're struggling. I, I can see that. And I just don't feel that I have, you know, the capabilities and the skill set needed to help you. But the good news is I have a list of people who I know have the skill set and are going to take great care of you. And these are the people that I think you should call um, to help out. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? Yeah. If, if you're, you know, if you're seeing a, a whether it be a, a hearing patient or a vestibular patient or a pediatric patient, any type of patient that you're seeing, if you feel what they need is outside your comfort zone, outside your skill set, absolutely refer on. Sure. Wow. Okay, cool. So it's, you know, we're talking maybe 20 to 30% of those who come through your door mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about, you know, an intervention or something for them. Yeah. Um, at this point, uh, what are some of the intervention options for someone with, you know, tinnitus that's so bothersome that they need an intervention? So if, for me, if anybody scores, you know, severe or catastrophic, I always incorporate cognitive behavioral therapy. So I have a list of therapists that I have already spoken with in my area that I know are good referral sources for them. But I tell them if those therapists are not in your network, you get me a list of therapists that are in your network and I'll find one for you. Wow. Um, Because I think it's really important that the therapists truly understand, you know, the patient that's coming in and not every therapist works with tinnitus or understands kind of what the tinnitus patient's going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I, you know, it's really easy, I think, to find a therapist. If you, you know, call up the office and you explain that you're one looking for a therapist who does cognitive behavioral therapy. And then two, you would really love a therapist that works with chronic pain patients. So patients who are suffering with chronic pain, because it's very similar what they're going to do with chronic pain patients that they're going to do with tinnitus patients. Sure. And it's just shifting the mindset and looking at things from a different perspective. I have a patient um, who came in with her husband and uh, he said, you know, I honestly think her biggest issue is how she thinks about it. And I was like, oh my God, I love you, dude. Um, (laughs) And he goes, you know, she's fine throughout the day and we finished dinner and she, the, you know, we're putting away the dishes and she says, oh, I'm already not looking forward to going to bed. I know I'm not going to get a good night's sleep because this ringing is going to keep me awake. Mm. And I was like, right there, that's negative thinking, right? If you continue that, that negative thought pattern, you're going to have difficulty overcoming your tinnitus. And so cognitive mm. behavioral therapy is so great for those patients because it's going to help them reframe those thoughts. Um, into more of a positive 
a positive thinking. Like I know, you know, I have tinnitus, but I have the strategies I need to help me get to bed and to help me sleep throughout the night. So um, cognitive behavioral therapy is, is really great. And um, you can certainly find a therapist in your area. Um, it's just the tricky now is just insurance has just become so crazy. Of course, so yeah. I always say if, if these are not in your network, just get me a list of therapists that are in your network and we'll, we'll find one for you. That's great. Yeah. So that, and then, you know, my, my training is diverse and I encourage anyone who, who really wants to not just dabble in tinnitus, but really get in there is, you know, keep learning, keep going to courses. You know, I started with Dr. Jasterboff's TRT course. I've done the Tinnitus Practitioners Association. Um, Progressive Tinnitus Management is great. All their resources are free and online. Mm -hmm. Um, And so anyone who's wanting to teach themselves how to treat tinnitus, Progressive Tinnitus Management is a fantastic resource because they have videos online for you to watch. Um, They have a handbook that you can give to patients. Um, It's a really, really great resource. Um, The uh, ABA certification training, uh, for tinnitus is out there. I mean, just keep learning because again, sure, you're going to grab tools and bits and pieces from all of these that you might use with one patient and not use with another patient. So it just kind of depends. Really cool. So really just building up that toolbox mm-hmm. with a variety yeah. of sources because yeah, I mean, there are just so many different approaches and so many different thoughts as to yeah. what the mechanism is that if we, if you disagree on what is causing it, then you're going to disagree on how to treat it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so it sounds like cognitive behavioral therapy is an option you're using a lot, especially if it's more debilitating. Mm -hmm. What other intervention options are you uh, seeing with your patients with tinnitus? Um, Certainly tinnitus retraining therapy and progressive tinnitus management are the two that I use the most um, along with, you know, sound therapy, but sound therapy is a part of TRT and PTM. Um, but I mean, I'll, I'll have patients, you know, that come in. So my process is you get your initial tinnitus consultation, and then we do a follow-up call four weeks later. And usually I have a good idea of whether or not that follow-up call is going to be, oh, Dr. Morrison, you're fantastic. Everything's going great. Wonderful. Or if it's going to be, you know, it's better, but I'm still needing a little bit more help, right? I can usually tell uh-huh. by the end of the evaluation. Sure. Um, but in that four weeks, what I've done is I've given them strategies and homework to try out. And so at the end of those four weeks, you know, we talk about how did it go? And then that lets me know, do we need to focus more on the sound therapy? Do we need to focus more on our thought patterns, right? Or Mm -hmm. more just explaining um, the details of how we hear, you know, everybody processes information differently. Yeah. Um, some people want to know the details of, you know, the subbrain and, and the cortex and all of that. Well, other people are like, I don't care. I just, how do I fix it? <laughs> right. But, yeah. you know, people, I think people who are fixers, people who are mechanical, if they understand how something works, they can understand how something can break down and how it can repair mm-hmm. itself. So those yeah. are the people that I find really enjoy getting deep down into, well, what happens when things go wrong? You know, how does this feedback loop occur? And so, you know, again, depending on the patient, we'll determine which course I'm going to take. Got it. Yeah. A lot of really good information in there. Do you feel like, so could you just do like a really brief, uh, the differences between TRT and PTM? 
Sure. So one is they're very similar. TRT is more understanding. It's the neurophysiological model. So it's really understanding the brain plasticity, understanding the feedback loop mechanism, whereas progressive tinnitus management takes bits of TRT, it takes bits of sound therapy, and it takes bits of cognitive behavioral therapy, and it kind of puts it all into one. Um, PTM was developed by the VA. Okay. And um, I don't know if that's why it's free online for anybody. So whether okay. you're a patient or a practitioner, and they have the they have free workbooks. I mean, I, I can't stress PTM enough. You can go onto their website and they have a workbook for the clinicians. They have a workbook for the patients. And then they have, you know, understanding the background of PTM. So you can understand kind of how it was developed. And so I do kind of a jumble of both of them. Okay. But TRT is definitely more, it, it doesn't have any really cognitive behavioral therapy in it. Got it. Got it. Very cool. Okay. Thank you for that, for that mm -hmm. recap. Okay. So I'm really excited to get your perspective on my next question, because if I were speaking to someone who was more in the research world or someone who was maybe at the VA, they wouldn't really have as much insights into this. So as a private practice owner, how, how does offering a tinnitus clinic work? I mean, is there any reimbursement for it? Is it like, what does that process look like? Is that because I feel like that might be a barrier too to some people who are interested in providing that service is they don't really know what it looks like. Yeah. And honestly, that's why I started my course. Because I found that when talking with other clinicians, that was the reason why they weren't doing it because they didn't understand like how to get it going. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've taken TRT or, you know, they've done the ABA certification, but they're not doing anything with it. You know, so many clinicians have have the training in it, but they're, they don't know what to do with it once they've gotten trained. And so in regards to insurance reimbursement, so the audiologic testing that you do is obviously typically covered. You know, if, if it's Medicare, you need a doctor's order. Um, most uh, third party or most um, commercial payers, United Healthcare, Blue Cross Blue Shield, right? Everybody typically covers a hearing test. Sure. So if they cover the hearing test, they're probably going to cover the pitch and loudness masking, the minimum masking levels, they're going to cover all of that. What they don't cover is the counseling and education. And yeah. um, as a private practice owner, I am very glad that they don't cover that because, you know, insurance reimbursement continues to be cut year after year after year. Mm -hmm. And they're getting to the point where it's not even coming close to covering my time. Sure. And so the fact that that part is self-pay I think is a wonderful thing because that's how you can generate revenue for your clinic mm -hmm. um, without losing money. Um, adding tinnitus to your office is a differentiator as well, right? Yeah. So it's, I think, just good overall. But from a, an insurance standpoint, they're only going to cover that testing part. Outside of it, everything else is going to be self-pay. Okay, interesting. Um, have you found that that's been a barrier for patients for the most part, or is it something that's usually pretty approachable? It, we had, I think, two people that I can remember after they were quoted, they chose not to move forward. Most okay. tinnitus patients, I don't want to use the word desperate. They're, yeah, they're looking motivated. for answers. Yeah. yeah, they're highly motivated and, and yeah. they're willing to pay for your time, um, especially, you know, you do a good job and, and they say you should have charged more, you know. Sure. So 
I have I have not had that be a barrier, although I have considered, you know, um, PTM, it was developed to be used as group, as a group to make it more affordable for people. Okay. And I have not done that. I just pull from it and do it individually. But I have thought, especially with COVID and with people not coming out of doing like a virtual PTM group Ooh, I like um, that. and making it more accessible and affordable for people who, you know, maybe can't afford it or can't get out of the house now or shouldn't get out of the house. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't done anything with that yet, but that was a thought that I had of doing that. So um, I well, think keep us updated. That sounds really, really cool. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, if certainly if cost is ever an issue, I think that's the way to do it is just do a group. And again, if you go onto the, onto the VA's website for PTM, how to do it is step-by-step is on there. That's great. Yeah. That's great. That's so, I mean, it's really, there really aren't any barriers for that. You know, it's, it's definitely something that can be accessible. Yeah, you for just anything. have to want to do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you have to be motivated to learn it um, because it's, it's a self-taught system that they have. But if you're, mo- I mean, there's no reason, I, you know, when I first started PTM, it was, we were driving to Colorado for vacation. And so my husband's drive and I just pulled up the book and like the, you know, the ride there, that's what I did is I learned yeah. how to do PTM. <laughs> so um, if you're motivated, it's, it's an easy thing to do. Really cool. Awesome. Okay. That, I think that's, so that's going to lead me into this next question too. So I, first mm-hmm. of all, I appreciate you. You're definitely making me feel like this is something I'm going to be incorporating more. Oh, um, I love it. Just because it's, so it doesn't take much and there's so many people that it could impact. Yes. I, so, but here's my next question. Other than, so we talked a little bit about, you don't really need any special equipment mm-hmm. and some of the materials to be able to have an understanding of how to provide this care are free. Yeah. Are there any other elements of, I mean, whether you call it a tinnitus clinic in someone else, I mean, I know that you provide a tinnitus clinic where people right. can come to you for the specific need, but if it's somebody who's a little bit more new to this, is there anything else that they need before they could say, okay, send me your patients who have tinnitus? Right. No, I mean, that's, that's the big thing. Um, and I have, you know, the, with the course that I've given, those clinicians are calling it a tinnitus evaluation. So they don't have a tinnitus clinic, but they provide tinnitus evaluations. And so, and that's what you can do. Absolutely. And so, you know, go online, get those resources. I use uh, a PowerPoint presentation when I'm giving that education and counseling. You can do that, or you can use the flip book that PTM Mm -hmm. offers and go old school. Right. And, and that's it. I mean, it's, and just do it. You have to start. I can't, you know, when I was, when I first started back in 06, 07, um, I dragged my feet right? Because I just didn't have the confidence. I didn't think I was ready. I didn't know how to, you know, am I really ready? Do I know how to do it? But the more you do it, the more people you see, the better you'll get at it, the more confidence you'll get. But you're not going to get that until you start, you know, just like when you first graduated college, you know, and and you were doing hearing aids or seeing pediatric evaluations, you know, whatever it is, what you were doing, you were new at it. You didn't know it. You didn't know everything. You certainly got better over time. And it's the same, it's the same thing with tinnitus evaluations. I think that's, I think that's what a lot of us need to hear just to start incorporating it a little by little. So there's there's no big equipment that you need. Mm -hmm. There's no expensive CD, you know, it's just getting your feet wet and really, you know, starting to provide the care. You know, the basic thing I would say is do a THI, do a pitch and loudness uh, matching with the patient and then give them that counseling and education about you know, how the brain will react. I love giving the um, example of walking in the woods to allow patients to understand why their brain is focusing so much on this. I say, well, imagine you're 
walking in the woods, you know, you're going for a nature walk and all of a sudden you hear a sound and you think, oh my God, it's a snake, right? And you Mm -hmm. freeze and your heart's racing and and you're starting to breathe heavily and you're looking around frantically for the snake. Um, Because you're in this fight or flight mode, your brain actually is amplifying that sound. So it allows you to find it, right? It's a survival tactic. And so you're looking for the snake because you're terrified and then you look over and you realize someone's letting air out of their bike tire. <laughs> and you think, oh, right? And like this wave of relief comes over you and you take a few deep breaths, your, you know, your heart calms down and then you continue on your way. The problem is with your tinnitus, yes, your, your brain is hearing it. It doesn't know what it is. Subconsciously, it thinks it's a threat. You know, it's going to take some time for your brain to realize it's not a threat. But once it realizes it's not a threat, it's going to treat it like it does the refrigerator fan. It's going to kick on and kick off, but you're not going to have an emotional reaction to it. You won't be bothered by it or frustrated by it or angry with it or worried about it, you know, whatever emotion they're having. Um, It'll go away. That is a phenomenal analogy. I really, really like that. And I'm going to steal that. You should (laughs) steal it. And I bet a few of our listeners will do the same. (laughs) I stole it from somebody else. So absolutely (laughs) steal away. (laughs) That's how those good ideas tend to go. Exactly. Wow, that's really great. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was a TRT one, actually. It probably belongs to Dr. Jastroboff. I probably got it from him. (laughs) (laughs) We'll thank him for it. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier, too, uh, kind of having a little bit of a referral network for therapists. Yeah. And so I'm not sure if it's only in certain cases or if they have a certain score on one of their questionnaires that you start to think, you know, Mm -hmm. a more serious referral, whether it's for, I mean, I guess maybe neurology and ENT if audiologically you see something worrisome Mm -hmm. and maybe psychology if it seems like a more behavioral thing um can you talk can you talk me through that thought process a little bit and then how you found those therapists that you now collaborate with absolutely so um i think you know certainly for like you said neurology and otolaryngology i think we all know when we need to refer out right if there's Mm -hmm. an asymmetry you know sudden issues things like that but for psychology for cognitive behavioral therapy certainly um, when you're doing the THI and you're scoring the THI, if it's high, right, that's severe to catastrophic, absolutely, they're going to need CBT, almost mm-hmm. guaranteed. Um, that moderate, maybe, maybe not mild, probably not at all. So it's that mild to moderate that are probably going to be fine with just that initial consultation and some strategies that they can use at home. Sure. And it's those severe to catastrophic that's going to need a little bit more help and they're going to need some cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's usually what I do. Now, on occasion, you know, that moderate person, um, they scored moderate. But after speaking with them and after the four weeks and talking with them again, and, you know, I have them fill out the THI four weeks later to compare scores if I don't see a big improvement. Or, you know, again, speaking with them, if I keep seeing these negative thought patterns, Mm -hmm. um, that's definitely a sign that you should go to cognitive behavioral therapy. So that's kind of how I how I decide who needs to be referred out for that. And then finding them, you know, I do a Google search. You know, you can search for cognitive behavioral therapy. There's an organization and find one in your area. You can just call the therapists in your area. And okay. again, I, I tell them, you know, I'm an audiologist and I work with tinnitus patients and I'm looking for a referral source for patients who need cognitive behavioral therapy. Do you have a therapist that does CBT? 
and preferably one that already works with chronic pain management patients. And Got so it. once they say yes, then I, I have a just a quick phone consultation with that therapist and I just explain, you know, it's very similar to chronic pain, right? We can't get rid of the pain. It's, it's there. It's always going to be there. There's nothing we can do. What we can do is shift our mind thinking away from how horrible this is to what can I do to make it any better, right? Um, and so it's very similar with tinnitus. You know, we can't get rid of the sound. It's, it's just there. Um, but yeah. we can change how we react to the sound so that eventually we can habituate to the sound. Yeah, I've never thought about how those two are connected, chronic pain and tinnitus. But wow, when you say it that way, that makes total sense. That can probably be another really helpful tool, you know, early on when you're discussing with the patient too, is that, you know, and I mean, fortunately, they aren't in a physical pain, but I mean, the stress that it puts on them, the emotional toll is very similar in that chronic sense. So yeah. Yeah, it's not uncommon for those patients to come in and they have anxiety issues or depression issues in addition mm -hmm. to their tinnitus. And so if they're, if they're not already seeing someone getting them to cognitive behavioral therapy, it's just a huge game changer. Yeah. I, I kind of want to, so this is a, on that same topic, but a little bit different, a little bit more like how you personally navigate this. So I know, I don't know what it is about audiologists, but we have this like awkward fear of referring. Have you seen this with other audiologists before yeah. where it's like a, I don't know. So just to give you a more specific insight. So like when it comes to pediatrics, if you have, let's say a five-year-old who is, who or a four-year-old or a three-year-old who is exhibiting very clear signs of, you know, a neural abnormality, something like autism spectrum mm -hmm. disorder, it would make a lot of sense to talk to the family about seeing a developmental pediatrician about the behaviors that you saw in that appointment. Yes. But there are a lot of audiologists who are really uncomfortable ha yeah. saying things like that. And I have to imagine saying, your tinnitus is at a point where there are some strategies we're going to try here. I'm going to tell you some things, but you really need to see a therapist. And I know therapy is like a taboo thing. Yes. And it's getting better, but it's really yeah. taboo. So how, how do you feel about navigating those conversations with patients where you're recommending they see a therapist? So um, like anything, it gets easier with practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but absolutely. And, and again, there are, there are some patients who are really open to it. And then there are others who just like flat out say, well, I'm not going to do that. Like, mm. no kidding. And, it, and again, a lot of my men, my male patients are like, <laughs> uh, no. And so, and I explained to them, this is not a lay on the couch, talk about your childhood therapy. They're not going to get into that. You know, I explain that to the patient because I think when you say therapy, that's what they, that's what they're imagining. Right? I'm telling you, that's what I picture. As exactly. Soon as says, and yeah. so I explained to them, it, that's not what they're going to do. You know, they're going to ask you, well, you know, when your tinnitus is there, what are you thinking? Right. And so then mm -hmm. I ask them, so what are you thinking? And then they say, oh God, well, I hate it. I wish it would just go away. I feel like my whole day is ruined. And I say, boom, right there. Your whole day is ruined. They're going to pick that up and they're going to teach you ways to reframe that into first a neutral statement, because it's very difficult to go from negative to positive right away mm -hmm. um, to a neutral statement and then to a positive statement. And so the first step is one, recognizing those negative thought patterns. And then the second step is reframing them to a more neutral and then eventually a positive thought pattern. And so once I kind of explained that, then they're more open to going to, to a therapist. Yeah, um, yeah. Because again, we're not, they're not going to ask you about your childhood. You know, did you have a difficult relationship with your mother or your father? 
Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to say like they don't care, but that's just not how cognitive behavioral therapy works. <laughs> that's not the focus. Exactly. And so usually once I kind of explain that, it makes it it makes it easier. But you know, I we kind of do everything at my office and and those that conversation with a pediatric, it is difficult, you know, to tell the the parents, you know, I'm I'm seeing some behaviors here that cause me concern and I really think you should you know, you should follow up with a specialist. It's it's not an easy conversation to have, but mm. certainly it's what's in the best interest for the patient. And that's why we do it. Yeah. I feel like uh, the best audiologists are really good counselors. We have a mm-hmm. lot we can learn from psychologists and, yes. you know, especially therapists. Yes. Because a lot of what we do is helping people navigate a diagnosis yeah. or an invisible disease that's, mm-hmm. you know, really affecting their quality of life. And it sounds, I really, I mean, you, you have great, I don't know the word counseling vocabulary, the way that you just kind of talk through that, I feel like oh, is, is you. really helpful for helping me understand how to yeah. navigate these conversations better. Good, good. Awesome. Yeah. There's actually in Britain, they're doing a online course, cognitive behavioral therapy for audiologists. And while I, I don't want to be a cognitive behavioral therapist, and it's definitely pretty sure not in my scope of practice, I want to take it because I want to see what tools I yeah. can use for my patients. You know, I still am going to refer on, but I, again, I think it's just another tool in the toolbox that you can pull out when needed. Exactly. I feel like as someone who sees a lot of kids who then go to see a speech language pathologist, mm-hmm. the more I understand about what they're doing, yes. the more helpful I can be in terms of reinforcing exactly. what they're doing in, you know, their therapy sessions. Yep, exactly. Yeah. That was actually, so that's kind of into my next question. You, you just mentioned there's a training coming from the, what did, what is it? The British Tinnitus Society? Oh yeah. You know, I can't remember the exact name of it. Something like that. Yes. But it's, <laughs> I know it's in the UK. Okay. And I forget his name. He's, he's amazing. He does a ton of research, but they just recently did a study where the audiologist only gave cognitive behavioral therapy. They didn't give any kind of sound therapy. They didn't do TRT or PTM. It was just cognitive behavioral therapy. And they had really good results, which is not a surprise. I mean, we've known cognitive behavioral therapy is important, but this, I think, is the first time that a study was done with audiologists providing sure. the therapy. And so I'm really excited for the course because, again, I think it's just going to be another tool in my toolbox, especially, you know, those, not again, to, you know, the male patients who like refuse. <laughs> we to are really go. doing it. We are, we are not very good patients. I'm like, I'm, really I apologize sorry. for I all apologize. of um, <laughs> that. I mean, it's it's almost it's you know it's nine times out of ten it's gonna be it's gonna be a guy who refuses to go to therapy, and my for my severe to catastrophic patients, I now require it. Like, if you want to yeah. continue working with me, you have to agree to go to cognitive behavioral therapy because I know I can't do it on my own. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be enough. You have to go to cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That, that's another great tool for people to have in their, in their toolkit is knowing when to say it's time to see, you know, a therapist mm-hmm. for this. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the, the class that you took, if you, if you could like tell us about that a little more and then just, you know, other resources that are out there or training yeah. audiologists like myself who are like, Absolutely. okay, like I'm entertaining this thought, but what mm-hmm. would the next steps be? Yep. So um, the first one, of course, is eAudiology has the certificate course for the ABA. That I'll give you that link for there. There's ATA has got some great links, and a lot of them are free um, okay. for learning. The VA for the PTM. So I think their website is the 
ncrar.research.va.gov. I'm almost, it's like a weird, but if you type in PTM, progressive tinnitus management, it'll pop up. And again, those are great, great resources. The University of Iowa usually has an annual conference. You know, of course it was canceled this year, Um, but that's another great resource. If you're wanting to go to a conference, that's a good one to go to. Um, Tinnitus therapy org.uk. I just found it. Yeah. It's a good one. The TRT one um, is j- simply tinnitus-pjj.com. That's the TRT for Dr. Jasterboffs. Okay. He gave his first virtual TRT training this year. So that's really fantastic that he, you can still get training through him and you don't have to go to Maryland, um, yeah. especially with COVID. So that's fantastic. I was so glad that he did that. And then, um, you know, my course is on Audiology Academy. So if you're wanting, you know, if you've not given a tinnitus evaluation or had, you know, given a tinnitus consult before and you're wanting to incorporate that um, into the practice, um, I have, it's several modules and it takes you through, you know, how to figure out what to charge, what to do at that first appointment, links to all the questionnaires, the PowerPoint presentation, how to market. If you want to have a tinnitus clinic, how to market it. Um, yeah. All that information is in there. So there's there's lots of resources. Um, many of them are free. You just kind of have to do the work sure. to, to learn it, but it, well worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Do yeah. you feel like there's any um, specific places that you're pointing patients to, uh, like whether it's communities online or yeah, things in so, your area? Um, this year, more than ever, I have been referring patients to um, Jennifer Gann's Mindfulness Tinnitus course. It's an online course that they can do at their, you know, their own pace. I think it's supposed to be for eight weeks, but um, I feel like just with the added stress of COVID and the social distancing and the masks, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. a mindfulness course, I, I mean, I found it very helpful for myself when I took it because it can be applied to more than just tinnitus, right? Okay. Um, so I thought that was a really great um, resource. So um, after I see a patient, I send them an email kind of summarizing the homework that I want them to do. And then I give them other resources. And that's one of the resources that I give them. And then I, I, I explain, you know, there's some yoga, there's some meditation, it may not be for you, but I think it's worth trying, because it's going to help relax you, it's going to reduce yeah. your stress. And we know that anytime we can reduce stress, we're going to improve our tinnitus. Of course, um, yeah. And what we don't want to do is we don't want to mask. Mm-hmm. I recently had a patient come in and he had been to several ENTs and several audiologists before he finally found me. And his hearing aids were not programmed for his hearing loss well. And the sound generators were so loud, it was masking his tinnitus and it was bothersome. And he goes, yeah. they want me to use this sound, but I already have a bothersome sound. And now they're giving me another sound I don't <laughs> like. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I said, give me a minute. So, you know, I ended up spending a bit more extra time with him, but there was a lot to do. And he's doing great. You know, he doesn't need any further appointments. Um, he just needed that that hearing aid to be programmed a little bit better. You know, you can't habituate to something if you're not exposed to it. Sure. Right. And so if you mask the tinnitus you know, they don't hear it, which is great for that short period of time. Mm-hmm. But the second you take away that mask or that tinnitus comes back sometimes even louder than what it was yeah. before. And so really important not to mask on a consistent basis. Wow. Man, so much good information. This has been crazy. 
<laughs> we are just about at the end of our time, though, which is oh, so sad. <laughs> it really flew by. It really did. I would agree. <laughs> so if people wanted to email you, if, if you have an email or a website, if they're interested in your course, where can people find you? I would say email is the best way to get a hold of me. My email address is pretty easy. It's my name, Maria, M-A-R-I-A, at Geneva Hearing, G-E-N-E-V-A hearing.com. And then, you know, they can ask me any questions. And if they're just wanting resources, I'm more than happy to send that out. If they have a specific case they want to talk about, no problem. Um, I think the more we collaborate, the better we're going to be as a collective whole. So don't ever hesitate to reach out if anyone has any questions. Yeah, words to live by. That's great. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about this. I'm just so fascinated. I'm so excited to <laughs> have a lot of these tools in my in my pocket now, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners feel the same way. So thank you again for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Awesome. All right, give me just a second. I'm going to switch it over to questions. Okay. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and rating. This podcast is part of an audio course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. Check out the website if you'd like to learn more about the CEU opportunities available for this episode, as well as archived episodes. Just head to speechtherapypd.com slash ear. That's speechtherapypd.com slash E-A-R.